Hi, I'm Garrett, and welcome to The Conversation. I think conversation is one of the most important tools we have for building and maintaining genuine relationships. In the age of the internet and social media, the conversation is a dying art. While we're technically more connected than ever, it seems more difficult than ever to engage with alternative perspectives in a meaningful way. We talk past each other and speak totally different languages without even knowing it. This show is my attempt at working on that problem. I'm trying to learn how to have meaningful conversation and practice what I learn. It's partly an experiment. Maybe if I start having more difficult conversations, I can get better at it. Maybe we can all get better at it. I don't know how this experiment's going to turn out, but hey, this could be interesting. Okay, I'll try it. Yeah, change it up. Because I have had coconut water before, so I am familiar. Yeah, I wasn't sure if this was going to be a, a total first introduction to coconut water. No, no I'm familiar. <laughs> We're going to have like this coconut high. I've actually been fortunate enough to have the coconuts water. No directly. way, like right out of the coconut. Out of the coconut. Was that um, here? No. Because I don't was... feel like that we actually have, like, I don't know anywhere that can grow coconuts. Um, I don't think you can grow them here. I would guess that they import them, but I think when you import them, you're going to lose quite a bit of the flavor because yeah, I think you so you want to have them fresh like right off the tree, yeah. I think. Yeah. You have to pick stuff before it gets ripe. Um, so I would guess that there's even less liquid in the coconut itself. So where did you have it? Uh, Nicaragua. Nicaragua. Nicaragua and Costa Rica. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't even know you had, I guess, you, I, well, I guess you've done some traveling, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You I've told been, me about, where, where was it that you told me that you went? You, I might've told you about Iceland. Was, <laughs> I don't even remember that. I, <laughs> well, I, yeah, I remember you telling me about like you, you ended up spending some time with two guys and kind of like... Yes, that, that, was, that was Iceland. Iceland. Okay. Yeah, and then I did my level one training in uh, Nicaragua and then after Nicaragua... Or sorry, then I did my flow training in Nicaragua and after that training, I rented a car uh, with somebody I met at that flow training and we just drove around Costa Rica for a week. Um, so we started up north and we arranged that we could drop the car off in the southern part of Costa Rica, just north of Panama. I love that you can do that. Yeah. Oh, it's a huge <laughs> blessing and, and for a fraction of the cost of what it costs here, especially being over 25 then too. Oh, right. Because there's a huge discount. Um, but yeah, so I, I was able to pick it up in Nicaragua. It's actually interesting because we ended up switching cars when we uh, crossed the border. Um, but yeah, because then you, the cars aren't allowed to cross. You the can't cross a rental car right. from Nicaragua into Costa Rica. So it's a, the same rental company, but you drop the car off, you walk across the border, and because that's the way that it works right, there right, too. Okay. And then you climb into another car and you keep you keep going. Yeah, that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah, inter inter border relationships for businesses. Mm-hmm. So you, you were in Nicaragua. You went to Iceland. Uh, and then I've been to Europe a couple different times. Yeah, uh, generally, Germany, Northern Italy, and and Austria. What What was your reason for like? Did you just want to tour the world, but while you still had time, like still like? I don't know. That was I have I've had friends who are just like, okay, someday I think I want to settle down, but while I'm still a bachelor, I gotta go and just yeah. See well, I I rode the bachelor train for a long time, uh, very intentionally. I was a little bit of a lost soul for a long time. Um, leaving my christian faith kind of and then just kind of stepping that was into what, kind of well because it's interesting how we think about like religions being a separate thing from life it's like okay you have your life and then you have your religion but like it's so for me much it was so intertwined is, I, yeah. I studied theology in school right. right and so 
religion and faith and my faith I, I hated the word religion I never called it a religion it was very much my faith my, my relationship with Jesus Christ but that um, would have been a big part of my future um, because right. of my intention was to work I always wanted to work as a social worker but I wanted to do it as a Christian social worker through a church or through a Christian organization I actually didn't even know what a social worker was uh, growing up in church, it was just I missionary. Just, it was just missionary, <laughs> yeah. and and I, and I didn't want to be the missionary that goes overseas. I wanted to be the missionary that stays local because I had a little bit of ego. Well, that's a, and, a smarter uh, missionary <laughs> plan. I feel like that a lot. I mean, so many Christians that I knew growing up, growing up, were like, well, they just got this verse in their head, like about okay, you have to go into all the world and yeah. preach the gospel, and it was like word for. I mean, the Bible says it. That's that's what it is. It's simple as that. We got to go into the. Well, the my world. motivation really was to do that because I thought it was. I thought it was the best way of all the different ways to live life. I thought that the uh, the Christian way had truth, and I always kind of strove for truth. Which, ironically, is uh, you know not to offend anyone, but that's ultimately what led me away from Christianity. Then too <laughs> yeah. was was really right. a, a a diehard commitment to truth. But within that truth at the time i really didn't look outside of that truth so my truth was very much framed by the echo chamber of the christian literature that i read the christian family that i yeah. had the 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 faith-based organizations that i was part of and it seemed like a really big world because there was enough that i could isolate and insulate myself from the rest of the world um but it yeah, it, it actually, it turned out. Are we recording now? Yeah, we are recording. Cool. <laughs> that's, that's perfect. I, I noticed you. You kind of just jumped in the vibe. I was like, there was no, there was no introduction. <laughs> one of the things that um, struck me was actually having a roommate that was gay and seeing love in the context of a relationship in a homosexual relationship, and because of the echo chamber that I'd kind of built around myself. And, and it was really well-meaning. I didn't even, I wouldn't have even known it was that that I created. It wasn't intentional. I, I didn't try to avoid realities and truths outside of the Christian community that I was part of, but it was just what I saw. And so then my, my the, when I moved out west after Bible college, I, I had a, a homosexual roommate and his boyfriend and him, I just loved them. They were just great people, yeah. wonderful, kind, loving, sincere, you know, honest, all the qualities and, and character traits that I saw in, in my heterosexual friends and relationships. Relationships right. and yada yada so yada. Like, and within the Christian framework, it's like that. That doesn't make sense. Kind of didn't make sense to me. Evil, yeah. evil sinners. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or lost and confused right. and sad people, right? Because they were separated from the truth. Right. And uh, that kind of opened my mind up to looking at realities that existed far beyond what I was what I was exposing myself to. And I knew that other realities existed. I just I just assumed that they were over intellectual. Um, people who, who kind of lost their way, you know what I mean? Or, or, or um, I didn't know because I didn't look into it, right? And so it was, it was an interesting time migrating away from my faith based on little tidbits of information and, and evidences that I received. And it, that just kind of unfolded. And I, I, I think it took me a good five or six years for me to... to comfortably lose my faith for me to comfortably say you know what actually i, I don't, don't think i can't yet. identify myself as a as a follower of jesus christ because in order to do that i have to acknowledge that he's the truth the way the life and that actually there's no other truth outside of what he he shared and i struggled with that to such a point that it made me so uncomfortable that uh yeah, yeah it, but it took me a long time yeah yeah i mean it's it's interesting because i mean the, there there is a sort of in group out group dichotomy that's sort of necessary for 
well, I don't know how necessary it is, but it seems like it's a pretty critical part of the way Christianity is kind of run in, in or at least Protestant Christianity. I guess, no, actually, I've well, been getting to know some, like, Catholic and Eastern Orthodox guys recently, and, like, their kind of system for whether you're allowed to even participate in, like, taking, like, the bread and the wine, like, Eucharist, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's even, like, a lot more stringent than the, the Protestant church. It's like, yeah. if you, apparently, it used to be that you couldn't even be there Unless you were unless you were fully in the church, you okay. baptized into the church. Now, I guess even if you're a catechumen, which is like kind of getting curious you know, about the education faith. or whatever to okay. kind of become Orthodox, gotcha, or or Catholic, you can you can like be in the. I think it actually depends depending on the parish or the church or whatever. I don't, I don't even know the ter- terminology that well, but like depending on which what building you're at, whatever church you're at, they will. Some of them still just won't like. like you, sorry, you have to step out for this part, or you can't, you can't come for this. Yeah. But like now, some of them, it's like you can be there, but you can't. You can just kind of watch because, like, that's like a fundamental act of like, when you eat this bread and this wine, you become. I mean, they they deeply believe this that you like become the same person, or you become yeah. part of the same body, or something like that. Yeah, it's a very it's a very uh, special thing that you have to honor. That well, one of the things that drove me nuts growing up was nominal Christianity, like people who were Christians but really didn't follow through and really um, stand behind the 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 Christ that gave up the, his life to to be with us. Like yeah. the the thought that the Creator of the universe would come down to earth and and be with us schlubs because he cared that much about us. Like it's, it's, it's like a slap in the face to not take that seriously. Right. Right. And, um, but there wasn't, I feel like, and and I mean, I can't speak for every community, but there's like a lot of, I feel like the way it was presented, like taking, taking it seriously just meant basically almost doing more or less what you wanted to do. Like just like being a missionary Mm -hmm. and getting a plane ticket and moving away. And it's like, that's, that's a little extreme for what most people might feel like. I don't know. It's like, I guess in light of, okay, if this is the most serious thing in the entire world and this is the way you have to live it out if you're serious about it, then like a lot of people should be doing it. And I guess a lot of people did, but I think it may be even the case that like there's just not enough enough meat to that sort of model of, of living for, I mean, if people do do that, some, some people do it and it works out for them. Mm-hmm. I think it might have to do with maybe a certain personality type or something, but I don't feel like a lot of people are cut out for that sort of life and just expecting that on everybody is kind of yeah i wonder about that like i struggle with that and i struggled with it as a christian too like why aren't people literally giving up their lives to tell people about the truth like what if if you wholeheartedly and i i wanted to like i read a really interesting book about cognitive dissonance and i really didn't want to live with cognitive dissonance i want things to be black or white i wanted to know that i was right. in the right and i wanted to share that rightness yeah. with other people because it wasn't and it, and it didn't come from a place of wanting to be right it really came from a place of believing that there was a, a peace and a truth that healed all the shame and guilt and 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 yeah. ugliness of my life and and why not share that with people and why aren't we very vocal about you know what it is that that is out there if that's an availability for people yeah. i think one of the reasons that we're not is because like i said i I like to insulate myself in in an environment where i was surrounded by people who also believed that and as soon as i stepped outside of the environment to be vocal about what it was i believed i was confronted by stuff i didn't like so i had to go back to i wanted to go back to that community and be like these these guys are like you know making fun of me and and ridiculing my beliefs and and, and feel safe again yeah 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 and the thing is like there's so much talk in the Christian faith about sh- being shooken in your faith, like having doubts and having having um, 
you know, things presented to us that might make us feel like we might be wrong. And now it's funny because now I love that. Like I crave, I, I, I celebrate my own ignorance because I realize how ridiculous I am and how little I know, especially when I start reading amazing books about biology and human history and anthropology and all these fascinating so things. You, you don't ever, like, you haven't had the moment where, well, I mean, I, I imagine maybe this happened during your trip even to, to Iceland, like this sort of Lovecraftian horror where you suddenly realize that like, that there's so much going on that's beyond your understanding that like it just you have to like cower in that realization of like i can't it's not only don't i know everything i actually can't know everything and i can't even know most of everything i can't even know a sizable percentage of everything Uh, that happened for me when I went to New York. So after I went out west, uh, I started kind of expanding my horizons as far as just potential realities and truths that could could challenge my Christian faith. I actually got the opportunity to work out west at a modeling agency that started a makeup school. I, I replied to an ad on Kijiji that says, be a personal assistant to a Beverly Hills makeup artist. I was like, sweet. Great. I've got two courses to finish up for Bible college, which I was doing out west, and I needed a job. And I was like, why not get a cushy job like that, <laughs> driving some rich makeup artist around hell yes i'm in and so that ultimately ended up turning out to become an opportunity for me to go to new york city and study makeup that's also where i ended up really expanding my horizons in observing people that totally lived in wacky and different and wild lifestyles that were so far removed from what i understood um, just because of I, New York or, or is like the makeup New York music makeup? bars so, drinking okay. like I, I got into all of right. the fun right. exploratory stuff I experienced my university days you know five years after most people did like I I, I, I got which is loosed. how it is for most Christians if at all <laughs> yeah totally I got loosed from the from the and and nobody put me into shackles right. but I really put myself into a framework because I wanted things to be black and white I wanted to understand I, I wanted to um, live within the context of, of my Christian faith without being a hypocrite, let's put it that way. And so then it ha- things had to be black and white. I had to, right. you know, put, put things into categories of right and wrong or what was good, what was bad. or what, And I didn't even do that intentionally, but I certainly, you know, isolated myself from other, other experiences, including getting drunk and, and, and things like that. Um, but when I opened that up and I realized that the the wrath of God, even metaphorically speaking, like the fact that a hangover wasn't that bad and that I could sleep it off and I'd, you know, be myself the next day and just things like that. Um, it just opened up my, my, my worldview to understand that there's just so much more out there and there's just, um, good, compassionate, loving people who are just as confused, lost and, and scared because a lot of my faith was, was, was fear-based. Not that people made me afraid, but I, I, I was afraid of, opening of that up and, and discovering that there might be other realities out there. Um, and, and that we're all like that. We're all, I, and now my perception has kind of come, come even further away from that where I think, and I think that this perception might be really helpful for us often is that, um, you know, evolutionarily speaking, we were monkeys from trees and we evolved to a place where we, you know, left the forest and we expanded our knowledge and blah, 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 blah. And, and sometimes I think we've removed ourselves so much from the animal kingdom that we see ourselves as a totally different entity. Human beings are special. There's something innately divine about us or that, that God's ordained some sort of specialness in us, which um, slowly stripping that away and reducing my own importance to being an animal again, I was just like, oh my God, that, le- like, that reduces the pressure that I place on myself for how I, how I conduct myself in this world. And it, it makes me a lot more 
compassionate and empathetic and, and, and sympathetic to the challenges that we all face as human beings. The, you know, the breakups, the losses, the death, the hardships, the, the addictions, the challenges that, that human beings face. And so I always remained close to that compassionate, um, desire to try to make a positive difference in the world but it drastically changed when i started seeing that the world was way bigger than than yeah. than the worldview that i had kind of con- confined myself to if that makes sense but did you still have like some sense of like uh, i mean to have that sort of romantic ideal of like wanting to do good in the world what mm-hmm. is that like connected to for you or like, do you, are you able to anchor that to something specific or is it just like you feel like doing good must be right there's like something because I mean, I can kind of now I, I define it as a meaninglessness. I think that the world is meaningless. I think that the I think that for lack of a better way of putting, there was this 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 bang and and it, it tumbled like a snowball effect and, and and tumbled into us being human beings on this earth with cognition, with the ability to relate to one another and our and our consciousness. And so, because I think that that's all one big old accident. Well, then there's no meaning left. Well, so then I invent my meaning through stories. And, and so I can pick whatever story I want. I could make so the story. Is meaning then, so meaning is attached to intentionality then for you? Um, I invent meaning based on the story that I tell myself. So when I was, ama- I, so I ended up following through. I did makeup school in New York City. I, I, I came home in, and lived in Toronto and then worked as a makeup artist. And my striving and my goal at that point was to be an awesome fucking makeup artist i really wanted to kill it like i really wanted to do well and and i got really cool opportunities very quickly because of a couple unique factors you know being uh uh coming off as a heterosexual male gives you great opportunities in the makeup world um girls find you fascinating and interesting who the hell is this guy guys think you're an anomaly too and so you end up getting these really cool opportunities or i I did anyway and um my intention was to to build a name for myself because I'd lost my Christian faith. And so that meaning and purpose was gone. And so striving for something bigger than myself kind of became my meaning. Now I, I, I observe that as a very superficial and artificial meaning. And so the story that I tell myself is that because of this, is because this, this worldness is all random and, and our human experience is very random. Um, well, I can, I, I, if I don't, pursue some sort of story of well-being and, and working towards some sort of common good then my meaningless or my, my existence is very meaningless it's very void of like i'm just taking up space i'm kind of a a, a leech just taking resources off this planet and i'm i'm a little crude in that like, then why not just off myself and and make a little more room for other people right? right but because i have a story that you know i can actually do something positive in this world i can work towards some sort of betterment whether it's your life my life so for me it's uh, it, it's largely around mental health mental well-being you, and have you i mean i, I know we, we kind of connected on jordan peterson and stuff before. yeah have you do you find any um, any inspiration in like in Sam Harris's perspective at all? Yeah, I love Sam yeah. Harris. Okay. Yeah, Cause Sam Harris. Jordan Peterson loses me with some of his intensity and right. then some of his 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 Christian values because um, he he seems to have a pretty coherent worldview, but then sometimes it gets it gets really lost in in the more depth of story. Whereas Sam Harris, I find, has a very secular and very compassionate perspective of how we can live and and i would i don't like backing a person i like backing ideas so i never say i'm a fan of this person or that person because 
Sam Harris might be a douchebag next week, and then I, I don't right. want to be the guy right, who's yeah, a yeah. big Sam Harris fan. But as far as I can tell, my worldview is largely shaped, even even in, um, like, I don't think I can help trying to make the world a better place. You know what I mean? In some capacity. I, I, it's just, well, unless that sort of instinct is in you, you very quickly either, I mean, you do end up killing yourself yeah. or, or, or other people, but ultimately yourself. is like if you don't, I mean, I can I can see that that argument of like, okay, people have like people evolved to believe in meaning because if you don't believe in meaning, you kill yourself. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. So just quick heads up, Evan. Can you make sure that you're just keep an eye on that camera? Yeah. No. I uh, and, and where Jordan Peterson is really interesting and actually opened my eyes was in in the the meaning maps of meaning and and right. understanding how we we develop meaning and because that, that he like brings out such a huge net and just tries to see what he can pull together of, as far as like so many different mythologies and and traditions and religions and like, yeah and the way that the way that we do follow archetypes and the way that we do um, yeah. lean on um, because the thing is we, we want to simplify things so the reason that one of the reasons as a, as a, as a follower of Christ I made things very black and white is it made life a lot easier I didn't have to contemplate every decision and every contemplation and what's right and what's wrong because that's exhausting decision yeah. fatigue is a very real thing and, and, and I, I, I think that it's um, tiring to constantly you know quit. so the, then following, following stories and archetypes and, and just kind of leaning into those is very helpful yeah. um, and, and it gives us it gives us a, a common language to um to behave around or to um, to to operate from that makes life a little easier, a little simpler, right? Now that's gotten in, us into trouble, right, with gender norms and this kind of like the different things like that. But um, yeah, so I resonate with that a lot. I really like uh, I really like Sam Harris though. I, I find that his perspective on free will is very interesting. Yeah, that's and what I, I was going to ask you about. With that that, a lot. That's one thing that I've I've listened to him chat a little bit about recently, as far as like. I don't know. I feel like I've heard him talk about it for two or three hours, and I still can't not think that it just sounds like bullshit. Yeah. Have you read his <laughs> wife's book on consciousness? No, I, I haven't even read any Sam stuff. Okay, gotcha. So the there's a couple books that um, his book on free will is very fascinating, and I resonate very closely with that. I think that um, I will always only make the best decision that I can. That's only based on the um, very minimal experience that I have, right? And so it only it makes sense that I I'm not really choosing as flexibly and as freely as we tend to perceive that we are, because I'm I'm still bound by the framework of my own experiences, my own perceptions, my own right. belief systems, right? Um, and and back to the whole monkey theory you know seeing myself more similarly to a, 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 a intelligent monkey versus similarly to like a, a, a yeah well so, so well, you can get sort of mechanistic thinking about it and say okay yeah, like animals are yeah do animals have free will I mean if, if humans have free will then then if if we assert that evolution is true then we have to also by extension say that animals have free will I mean I at this point I almost am more deeply considering that and I'm all I mean as far as even what you were t talking about earlier as far as like you know I used to think there was something special about humans but then I realized humans are just animals and it's like to me when I kind of hit that same fork I was like oh yeah I guess animals are special too yeah and then it's like okay well I guess but if animals ultimately evolved from like some some sort of like proto-conscious plasm of something or, or other like some some sort of goo then 
then maybe, and and this is what I, I don't know if you've followed uh, any stuff by like Ian McGilchrist or just anybody who's talked about no. panpsychism at all. Okay. Which people get into this idea that like it's actually not the case that that consciousness is um, is emergent at any particular point. It's that con- there's like, there's emergent levels of consciousness. Okay. But like that, literally all matter is conscious. Yeah, I struggle. I struggle with that because <laughs> I think what consciousness is is a really interesting way for the mind to take all the sense data and make it one cohesive story. That's why story is so interesting. Like right. um, I make sense of the world based on the fact that the wind's blowing right now, the sun's on me, and so I go through a kind of a checklist of things that I need to consider. Am I going to get burnt by the sun? No, it's temperature's fine, so I've got to sweat. Like there's there's a couple flexibilities that I have as as far as my free will goes, but ultimately at the end of the day, when I go to bed at night, did I freely choose those things? I probably reacted a lot more to the stimulus of my environment and that that stimulus because even when we study consciousness and understand um, people's motivations, they don't make a whole lot of sense often. Um, people, people can, can, like because there's a lot going on, like under the hood, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The, the, if you, if you can manipulate somebody's arm to move and they have no idea why, how the heck that happened, they'll give you a good reason why they moved yeah, yeah, their arm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. We always explain things long before we actually have any sense of certainty. And, and I've seen little glimpses of that and yeah. funny little quirks like that in myself. And so I think that it's very possible and likely that animals have consciousness, but not free will. I think it's very likely that we have consciousness because I, you know, we, we can discuss it and have a conversation about it. Um, but, but free will, I don't think is necessary for consciousness. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, it just, you get down to like trying to understand what it is that you're, I mean, and Sam has to try to do this a lot of times when he's making his, making his point because it's like, okay, he's disproving certain, like certain versions of of free will. But like, I don't think when people think of, I mean, maybe some people have a very specific thing that they mean when they talk about free will. And it's like, okay, well, as soon as you specify what it is, you could probably, you could probably prove it wrong. But if, if you, if free will is kind of, a pragmatic, mysterious thing that is like it doesn't have specific borders, mm-hmm. and this this is the case that I mean I was talking to another friend recently. He introduced me to a mathematical concept that I I don't I don't even remember barely how to do algebra, yeah. but it, it was explain. I mean he's he's both into philosophy and into math, and he was talking about certain figures in history that have kind of have bridged those gaps or like been dipping their fingers into both bowls. And, and there's yeah. there's a guy Kurt Gödel, Gödel, something like that, and he. He proved something called the incompleteness theorems. Okay. Which is basically he he proved that within a sort of closed logical system, or basically within any sort of logical system where you want to represent reality, mm-hmm. you can either have a complete system, that is that is perfectly consistent with itself, that that is inconsistent with reality, mm-hmm. or you can have a system that tries to represent reality, but that is incomplete. Yes. That, that has that has internal errors. Yeah. Because it seems to be the case that reality is not is not at the bottom something that could be mechanistically uh, predicted or like you, you mm-hmm. can't. I mean, I, I was I brought this up with with Andrew the other the other week, and I was like asking him like so like because he he tends to be a bit more kind of mechanistic in his thinking about reality too, and so we we go back and forth on this stuff. But he he made a good point to me that like okay yeah it's not possible to sort of run a computer that could predict what's going to happen next in reality because. Yeah reality is that computer and reality i mean you can't make a computer that's doing exactly the same thing as the computer inside of itself yeah like that computer already exists it's, it's just it's reality 
that intuitively feels very true to me based on the fact that when you think about time we're at the very forefront of human history like we are we are right at the cusp nobody's experienced what life is like in 2021 before right. you know what i mean nobody's nobody and, and actually that's a big part of the 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 work that i do in in mental health work is that we have to be incredibly gracious with ourselves nobody knows that this social experiment that we're living in where we you know become 18 maybe go to school hope like strive to live on our yeah. own we have no idea whether that's good for us we have no idea whether that's appropriate we have no idea whether you know what i mean because this has never existed before the fact yeah. that i can turn the lights on and stay up two hours after the right. sun goes down like i could have done that yeah. in a half half-hearted way when there's a fire in front of me and i could have written down a little bit but i i, I can i can start my work at 9 p.m at night and and work all night long these are these are realities that literally didn't exist within the biological structure of my 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 dna and all of human history so we're right. really at the forefront of of what it means yeah, to be yeah, human yeah. and we're we're dabbling in a lot of curious um experiments that we have no idea what the outcome is going to be uh so it's you said that relates to to like how you kind of manage your own mental health or or kind of advice you you, you give or i, I didn't quite understand the terminology there you're sorry saying. yeah so i work with individuals uh teaching the meditation or yoga at addictions and mental health centers as oh, well so as the okay. yoga studio really right cool. and so yeah and so when, I, when i'm working with with when i'm doing longer sessions with people so um, one of the one of the the things that I I did for about four and a half years was I worked with uh, an addiction center here in in Brantford, and they had a twelve week intake program. I would offer a six week mindfulness meditation program to offer individuals the tools that they could use to to start a meditation practice for themselves and get to know themselves a little more deeply. One of the lessons in that is we have to understand that we often have these expectations of how things should be. I should be a better mother. I should be a better leader as should be not addicted to drugs well yeah you can put all those shoulds on you but where are they coming from they're coming from an ideal and an expectation that's outside of reality the reality is that we're doing a social experiment worldwide right now that's completely unique and interesting we have no idea whether this is even feasible we don't know whether it's possible to live life in 2021 and not have a huge percentage of people struggle with their mental health because we did something, we took something away, whether right. it be a relational, whether it be nutritional, whether yeah. it be um, a, a social construct. We have no idea, you know what I mean? So yeah. so I, let's I think about at that. least be gracious to the fact that right. we're going to have weird shit come up. Like we're going to be outrageously anger, angry or, or super depressed or all these different things. And, and the idea that that shouldn't happen might be a misnomer it might be a mistake it might right. it might be an assumption that we can make based on human history but again we've never experienced 2021 before right we've never yeah. been through a pandemic and and, yeah, and stuff yeah, that like too. that i i mean i think about that specifically just technology technologically the moment we're in and and exactly the framing you just kind of outlined mm -hmm. a lot like that it's it's sort of frustrating and well i don't know like I go back and forth as to whether or not I feel like I, I can be justified in thinking that this moment is that unique versus like, I mean, I'm just another person in history and like, you know, there's going to be a, I mean, I guess that, that falls under the assumption that there's going to be another million years after, after mm. another, another trillion years after now. But like, that isn't really a guarantee, I guess. And I, I mean, maybe there is sort of, I mean, you are arguing just that you can kind of take compassion on yourself in that, that like you re we really don't know if this is if this is possible. We, we might actually just screw ourselves right into the yeah. ground. Yeah, we don't know. And so, you know, one of the things that that helps me out a lot is is being compassionate in that front. 
you know what I mean? That the, the, all the shoulds that I place on myself are, are based on nothing. No, no, because I can't, I can't compare myself to the human history that, that we lived through over the last 50 years, 100 years, 200 years. Every single one of those timelines was drastically different. 50 years ago, yeah. life was yeah. very different. So yeah, we had, we had a lot of the social structures, but we didn't have the technological structures that we have. Then you go back 100 years and we had very different social norms and different types of relationships. We had different class structures. You know, you go back 250 right. years and all of a sudden from 250 years back thousands and thousands of years life was what life was unique and different yeah. depending on whether you lived in the city or whether you were a hunter or gatherer right but, but you you still find some meaning in the idea of these like archetypes and archetypal stories and i mean culture and religion like these things the fundamental assumption is that there's something there's a there's a continuity about reality that no matter what moment you're in these things sort of remain true um I guess I only perceived that from from a very mathematical, scientific, biological like the the only truth that's out the only truth that we can like I love science. I I I love science for the fact that um scientists are motivated to prove themselves wrong. Where where what other discipline really inspires that? Scientists are are motivated to prove each other wrong. You know what I mean? Scientists are motivated to show that their results can be re- reproduced over and over and over again and that to me is the capital t truth you know what i mean when 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 the the physical reality that we exist in uh, the only thing we can know is the things that are you know things that you can break down and observe or the things that you can kind of um um make sense of as a result of observation and and repetition but there's a lot of variables and factors that you that you that are new to us Right. The fact that I can sit here right now and potentially get a text message to find out what's going on with my partner who's, you know, is currently an hour away from me. Well, you know, for, for most of human history, I would have just sat in peace until I physically see that person again. You know what I mean? Right. I would have sat in the space of having no clue what's going on at home. Right. Yeah. Well, you, you, you extrapolate that to the fact that now I know what's going on in each country. I know what's going on in each you know political system i know and i know tidbits and some of that information can can scare the shit out of me and some of that information can can bring me peace and calm we don't know what the the how the biology of my body is going to respond to all these these kind of variables um so your your approach then to like because i mean you said you you teach i know you said you teach meditation and obviously I, i know you teach um I say Buddhism. <laughs> I know you teach. I know you teach yoga. Yeah, because I mean that was where we that was where we first met. That's right. Yeah. But uh, what's well, interesting because I mean those practices. I don't know. Would you say your understanding of them is that they evolved out of a tradition that assumed certain spiritual truths about reality, or assumed a sort of fundamentally atheistic uh, existence? Ah, uh, it like, depends. How, how well did those the teachings of the Buddha play? The teachings of the Buddha were very atheistic, you know what I mean? And and around the Buddhist tradition, I'm not Buddhist. I don't I don't define myself as Buddhist, but I really admire the Buddhist teaching. I think he had a grasp and a handle on on the way that the mind works in a way that is beautifully unique. Um, and and cl- the clo the of anything that's existed prior to the last couple hundred years, it's it was more true to what we understand about the the way that psychotherapy works and the way that that the mind works today, 
Um, and, and so I have admiration and respect for it, but I approach it from a very secular perspective. The physiological benefits of a yoga practice, moving the muscles slowly, co-contracting the muscles to optimize strength and mobility, and then um, using deep breaths to calm the nervous system. All of these functions are very much biologically entwined to optimize the well-being of, of my life. Um, you don't find, like, so this is one thing I was thinking about earlier. Like, you, you know more about the mechanics of how, like, Yo, like what yoga sort of is is sort of actually doing on a physiological level and maybe cognitive level than just probably anybody else I know. But does that get in that the way of your... That portion interests me a lot. And that portion yeah. doesn't get in the way. It's why I do it. I wouldn't do it if it was a spiritual practice. Now, it is a spiritual practice because depending on how you define your spiritual practice, your spiritual practice is self-observation and self-awareness and, and your yeah. connection to the universe and, and each other, right? Like that is a loose definition of spirituality. I often struggle with the word spirituality because it doesn't it's, make sense to me. Yeah, like I don't really know what it is. A lot of people. Like some yeah. people think about, I was even just last night talking to um, my sister's girlfriend. She's like, uh, she's a, um, what, I mean, she, last night I guess she told us that she was a medium. Okay. Um, but she's like really into astrology and stuff like this. Yeah. And she was talking about like the astral plane and ghosts and stuff like that. And I was like, I couldn't, I, I felt like it, it sounded eerily similar to the way that uh, a lot of Protestant Christians that I knew growing up would kind of talk about the spiritual realm and it's like the, the same idea of like a, a totally detached um, like a like a multiple universe theory and it's like mm. it, it seems like it's a, a little bit far I don't know like the, the way I even think about that that whole category of things is just like well, I, I mean I yeah, I think I think you're right that the word spirituality that has some some unnecessary baggage to it, and sometimes probably is better not introducing it to a conversation. But I like like mystery or mystical. Yeah, because- and to me that um, then if if that's if we're talking about the mystical, then I'm very unspiritual. I'm I'm the, and we were talking before the podcast started. In some ways, I'm totally your stereotypical yogi. You know, I take time to articulate myself. I got long hair. I like smoking weed. Like, <laughs> and not not to say that you know yogis do all that but I, in some ways i'm i'm very stereotypical yogi um and then in other ways um i really struggle to wrap my head around any type of spirituality now i i am in some ways spiritual because um i think the spiritual process is is self-examination and and um being open and vulnerable to whatever presents itself but then when we get into astral planes and and yeah. gemstones and you know, for, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest I, I with find you. That very difficult to to find any meaning in. The thing but, is, I and, and you know, there's you you can present me with really strong evidence, but I think it ultimately boils down to the placebo effect. I think the placebo effect has an and I don't mean to diminish that effect. It's a profoundly interesting effect. I think it's something that uh, the scientific community is really interested in as well and looking into the implications of i think that when you walk in to see your doctor and he tells you you've got three months to live it's a biological shift that is horrid that that's totally different than a doctor saying listen you're gonna have to fight your ass off you gotta change your diet you're gonna have to exercise we're gonna have to get in gear now if we're gonna battle this thing totally different the exact same body but totally different outcomes could be a result of that i truly i do think that that's probably true though i mean one thing i've heard about Vsauce did a um, did a video in, like studying and talking to some different scientists about this about the placebo effect okay, specifically because yeah. it's like I mean yeah that is one hell of an interesting concept yeah yeah and I mean I would totally I'm very comfortable saying that a lot of of what Christians 
are doing when we kind of like pray and lay hands on each other and stuff like that. I think that's deeply in, in, incorporating the, the placebo effect. And it's like, that's a deep part of probably a lot, a lot of different religious traditions. But I mean, one of the things that the, the guys in his little kind of sciencey panel were talking about is that there, there's a, there are a few kind of main theories as to what placebo effect might be doing. Mm-hmm. But at the bottom of it, it ends up being, I mean, even the current sciencey position on placebo effect is about as mysterious as the Christian position on it, which yeah. is that it works and we don't really know what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Which but, I, I'm not trying to use that to like to, well, again, because I, I don't even like those, the terminology of like an astral plane in a spiritual realm. I, I think that's, I mean, maybe obviously it's useful as a narrative way of thinking about certain things, but like mm-hmm. I, I don't think that the idea of spiritual reality or at least what a lot of spiritual traditions are getting at is, has to be at combating a, even a sort of materialistic view of the world. I don't know, I'm still kind of processing this right now, but I'm just thinking about recently hearing that um, different things like, you know, that humans only have three cones to, to sense different kinds of light. So we only, mm-hmm. you know, we can only recognize uh, colors that be, that are combinations of red, blue, and green. Yep. Right? But there are mantis shrimp that, that are in like nine the bottom cones. Of the sea. Yeah, different. I, th- I thought it was 13. Maybe it's nine. No, sorry. I don't know about mantis shrimp. I, I heard about an animal recently that okay. had nine cones, and I was like, yeah, yeah the, the the perception of reality is totally different right. for that animal than it is for myself. So, I mean, when I'm thinking about what, what I even meant by mystery, and then I, I kind of, I went, I, maybe I went a step further by saying mystical, but what I meant by mystery is just like that there is a huge chunk. In fact, the majority of reality takes place sort of under the hood, even beyond our ability to, to scientifically observe it. Because mm-hmm. even when you want to try and do science, you end up limiting your information so much to try to focus on a particular so, I mean, I, I think when science is done well, it tends to incorporate different disciplines mm-hmm. and you can kind of widen your spectrum, but it's still impossible to observe all of the data at once without being the universe. I agree. No, I absolutely, I don't think that science is the end all and be all. I just think that it's, I, I think that it's at least people trying um, their hardest to, to figure out what's going on. And I, and I appreciate that coming from the background that I come from. You mentioned prayer earlier and I think that prayer is one of the most um, unfortunately the baby got thrown out with the bathwater because I think secular communities would, would really benefit from prayer. Not because I think that your prayer is going up to God, then God is interceding with what's going on here. But truly and honestly, Garrett, if I tell you that, listen, I'm struggling with this and I, I could use some prayer in that area. I have to open up a, a sense of vulnerability in communication that doesn't exist in our secular communities. You know what I mean? Prayer opens up vulnerability amongst men too specifically like it's not yeah. that kosher for us to be nece- and i'm I do, i'm not gonna get into gender You're roles so sexist yeah Marcus, not, don't say this no i'm just just <laughs> the, the stereotypes that exist um but truly like if if you ask me hey how can i pray for you or or, or you know what are you praying about these days it's 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 a, a language that we can use to really get to the cut through the bullshit yeah. what's going on in your life you know you how's your wife out- doing how's your kid doing so like another way, like another word, kind of another path into that same zone. Like I, it's funny. Language. I met with somebody who we wanted to make a difference in the downtown um, business community. We were talking about that. We were saying like, cause we both came from a faith based background. And then we were saying like, imagine if we could take prayer requests. Imagine if we could pray for one another, like as, as business owners, when we're struggling, because that's the language that ultimately gets to the bottom of it and lets mm-hmm. where it feels safe to be vulnerable. You don't feel like a dumbass for like when, when you ask me how I'm doing and I tell you that my business is in trouble, 
it's like oh shit this is gonna be a two-hour conversation now like <laughs> you know what i mean um and but but prayer has this cool thing how can i pray for you you know what i'm really struggling with with my motivation for my business i'm struggling with my relationship here and 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 prayer has this and and the thing is the way that that plays into the placebo effect is that okay now you know that there's something going on in my life that hey you have an extra car lying around you just answered my prayer request it wasn't god you know but i i made my need known i made i made the struggle in my life known yeah and so i think that um i hope that there's a i don't know of another word or a way of of framing it but that's where meta narratives and and narratives and stories or or archetypes are are um yeah. Um, I mean, and that's, very cool and effective because right. it's a language that we can use. I, me and my girlfriend, me and my partner, she, she and I have both done personal development courses where we have a common language, and that's really cool because it allows us to deepen our relationship in a way and cut through the bullshit. You know, when I come home and I'm a little bit grumpy and on edge, there's a language that we can use to yeah. to, to to for her to know has nothing to do with her that I have to take responsibility for something in my life and that there's a division between us because I brought my work home with me, for example, right? And yeah. so having a common language that allows us to, to cut through that means that there's no tension at home. Now we get to have a good night and I, need, I get to carry the, the hurt or the shame or the, the struggle that I'm dealing with with me that night, for example, right? And so prayer and, and having these these common languages to be able to articulate really complex concepts sometimes is is outrageously beneficial. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's interesting you use the words. You said compressed, right? Uh, I don't know. Or you said complex. I don't know. I, maybe that's just where, where my mind went because I was thinking about it. It's just like, especially when you, I mean, I guess this is true of all language, but it's just when a word isn't like, I mean, I guess now so often we just like, oh, what does that word mean? Let's look it up. Let's look it up on Google. Yeah. Look up it in the dictionary. But so much of what any word means has to do with the community that it's used in and the relationship that it's being plugged into because totally. that relationship kind of, fleshes out the word i mean and this is how because kids don't learn right when you're a baby you don't learn words by looking them up at the dictionary yeah right it's entirely plugged into your experience words relate to patterns of existence where you begin to recognize oh that word mom has to do with whenever i get fed Mm -hmm. mama okay now i I like that word i'm gonna i'm gonna say that one more often it's like safety security all those other things that come in the context of mom yeah right well and it's like eventually you get told okay the mom a mom is a specific person Mm -hmm. and she's that person and mom has to do with this and it's like it can be so culture kind of comes into play and helps to shape it further maybe sometimes it's not as much of a help maybe but but i was just thinking or what was what was the word you were we were talking about prayer Mm -hmm. and it's like that's a really it is a really deeply there's a lot of meaning compressed into that word where like you can't individually define i mean i guess different denominations have their positions on it but like it's not totally defined what it is mm-hmm. like yeah i i it falls apart for me though because i can't really use that word because i don't believe that the value and the importance of my prayer request is um going to god and then from god to the universe to change and ordain things so it it, it doesn't really fit you know what i mean but yeah. Yeah, um yeah, yeah. vulnerability sure does you know what i mean um holding space actually the word holding space does you know what i mean if i um if i hold space for you to be sad or upset or or frustrated you know what i mean you 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 get that um pass and i don't define 
you, Garrett, as that person. You're you're who you're that tonight, but that's not who you are as a person, right? You're sad because of a circumstance or a situation. I'm holding space for that, um, and and so yeah, that's, that's cool. Having having um, language, but also like me and you need to mean you need to agree on how we use that language so that when i use um a word like integrity it it means the same thing to you as it does to me um integrity is actually one of those words i talked about with me and my partner it's integrity goes a little bit further than what what we generally perceive as integrity integrity for a structure is that you can rely on it it holds up right well integrity for me is that um if i don't communicate to my mom that i'm upset with her then where I'm out of integrity because I'm going to hold that grudge and that that grudge I can I can suppress it all day long but it's going to get in the way of our relationship if I don't bring it up and so it lacks and if if I'm committed to a healthy relationship with my mother then it lacks integrity integrity for me to say I'm committed to a healthy relationship with my mom and I'm not willing to to have a difficult conversation with her right and and so and 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 that you know we can talk a little bit more about what that word means for me and my partner but that's that's important to have to have a language that we share and 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 use together so yeah. that it's it's we're talking about the same thing right yeah yeah well and yeah i guess i don't know there, there's a couple of different kind of branching directions that you can go talking about. i mean language is so interesting yeah but well, it was funny i actually uh, this this month i'm working with the city of brantford to offer yoga classes and we're offering yoga classes in six different languages and so there's an interpreter oh, that wow, i'm working okay. with to and it's been a different interpreter each time and we were talking about the complexities of translating something because you're not translating words you're translating concepts and ideas and and especially when you're talking about you know the 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 words that i use to calm the nervous system the words that i use to instruct you to breathe in a different language the the context might be really challenging to articulate so sometimes i say something that takes 10 seconds to say and the translation is eight seconds long and that's fine but sometimes it takes 20 seconds to 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 create the the, paint the picture because without even knowing it sometimes i talk in metaphor or sometimes i talk in an analogy that makes sense to us here in canada and it's obvious and it doesn't need to be expounded upon but if i translate that to a different language and so language is really and and the words we use are really important to make sure that we're actually speaking the same language and yes, yeah, so, so much of it is metaphor. I mean, yeah, like we, we step in and out. I just said st- <laughs> <laughs> we, <laughs> we step, step in and, and out of metaphor, but it's like <laughs> you can't you can't use language. You can't even speak without without metaphor because that's that's how we comprehend things. We kind of compare them. It's like and and a lot of it has to do with with base physical movements. Like I, I mean, you even earlier said that like that the the Buddha had had a, a really interesting grip on the way our minds work. Mm-hmm. It's like. He doesn't have a grip on the way our minds no, work. No, not or, at all. But he does. Yeah. And it, and it, but it, though it's it's like, yeah, so much of it is about. And so I mean, when when I try to think about these different spiritual, into I mean, yeah, the, the way that a, that a, that a community, a community's word gets defined. It's like nobody actually decides what something means. Mm-hmm. A word, or like you could think of a word as almost like a story about a pattern of being. Yeah. Right. It. It evolves, but the evolutionary history of it is so ancient and so complex that you can't, like, you can you can try to be as on the same page about it as you as you can because obviously there's a, there's a functional level where the language that you can't the word doesn't do too much unless unless we both have some sense of the same meaning of it. Yeah. But we, we only can kind of converge a certain percentage of the, of our meaning, and then there's always this sort of mystery beyond that. And that's yeah. kind of what I'm 
I don't know. It's like there, there's so much that, 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 that about Christianity and about Christian tradition that you can kind of begin to understand, okay, well, that's meaningful because it relates to this more specific science way that we've kind of figured out how to lay out the particular mechanics of what's happening there. And so now we can be certain that that's meaningful, but probably the rest of it's just worth throwing out. Mm-hmm. And that's, well, I mean, that, that's what I'm kind of struggling is just because I have that sense that it's, it's actually impossible to know how much of something is worth throwing out mm-hmm. or how much of something is, it's just, it's difficult to negotiate the value of something, specifically a story or an idea. Yeah, well, and taken to the nth degree, that's the postmodern dilemma is that, you know, yeah. y- you could argue that there's no way to communicate any fixed concepts or ideas because language can be so malleable. And uh, and then there's no point in talking or articulating anyway. But th- that's bullshit because we still have to relate to one another. We still have to get along. And so I might have to, to take a little bit more time to articulate a concept or, or what it is that I intend to share. Mm-hmm. Like, and actually, what I've often thought about is it's fascinating to me how um, we have to do that twice. Like, because I have to do it from the, what I'm thinking into the words that I'm using to, to articulate what I'm thinking. And we've probably often had this where uh you know you, you're thinking compassionately and graciously but your words aren't <laughs> conveying that truly yeah, yeah. um and and so that can make things really sticky and difficult yeah. and i find that a lot of arguments especially around the social justice world exist around uh not being satisfied enough with how you you uh, expressed an idea or articulated something yeah. and so it's shutting a lot of people down a lot of well-meaning loving compassionate people are shut down because they're afraid to have an opinion. They're afraid to share an idea or a concept because, you know, in, in their mind, it's well-rounded and it's 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 sound. But when it's brought into speech, it, it loses some That's aspects. Yeah. And so then you're left with 25% of what's going on up in here. You know what I mean? And 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 so it's a really cool... Um, well, and probably a lot of those conversations, I mean, I'm just thinking about it. Social justice almost sounds like the baby of the internet like mm. like sometimes i hear sometimes i have in person conversations about social justice not very often yeah most of the social justice conversation that ends up in in front of my face is like people screaming at each other on the internet yeah and it's like the internet is a place that's well i mean e- even at its best when we can have like a video chat mm-hmm. that's like still a fraction of the amount of communication that's happening like compared to right now where we're yeah. physically like there's so much communication happening right now yeah and so much of that i mean even if i if i say something like pretty poorly worded that like if you were to write it down might sound totally dumb or totally mean you or wouldn't insensitive. want to be quoted for it yeah right it's like being here you can sense so much more of my intentionality when you're looking at my face when you're hearing the tone of my voice and it, it, even down to the very like the you hear a lot of detail when we're when we're just hanging out right here well if you can't relate to this conversation just look at your relationship with your text messages how many fights you get into, how many <laughs> battles you get into. Holy shit, I said I was coming home in five minutes. Why did this turn into <laughs> me being an asshole? <laughs> I've had so many of those, and it's so frustrating. And it's, like, part of me just wants to be say, like, okay, I'm done with this. Like, this, I mean, even like you were talking about before, it's like, can we even do this? I don't know if we can, I don't know if mentally or emotionally we can sustain ourselves with this kind of technology. It doesn't meet us where we need to be met in so many ways. It doesn't, it doesn't kind of meet our... I don't know. It's like there's our communication and the faculties that we have for interacting with each other. That, that those have evolved potentially over you know billions of years. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess I would say billions because you know, I'm thinking about even before biological 
even before man, we looked yeah. like humans, we were communicating. Right. We built off that platform, right? Well, I, I, I'm thinking about the ultimate evolution of like literally since the Big Bang. That was that was all a process of evolution, and that and those patterns ultimately spiral into what eventually becomes us. So, but it's like that. That's so. There's so much there, and like unless we can somehow, I don't know. It's like we need to be really cautious and really respectful of the of the incredible mystery of that ancientness mm-hmm. of our evolution it's like and that's why it's like when it comes to a concept like god anytime somebody could could define a god i i wouldn't believe in that god mm. right like god to me is is a deeply important concept i don't even want to say useful concept because that would imply that i'm using it for something I, I mean i guess i probably am in a lot of cases but like the idea of God and being sort of like submitted to God is, is important to me because it's like being submitted to that great mystery that, that people are referring to when they're talking about God. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. and I guess, again, different, different communities get, get maybe too specific in their definitions of God. And, and I've thought about like, this a lot, yeah. right? I've thought about this a lot as far as leaving my faith behind and leaving God behind. And then all of a sudden there was a void where God was because God ceased to exist for me. Right. And then lately specifically around um, pandemic-related things. I, I, I said this to my partner. The, I, I, she has a five-year-old son, and me and him get along famously. And so we're playing on the playground, and both of us are wearing masks. I don't know. Very few others were wearing masks. And she said to me, oh, like, very few people are wearing masks. And then I, I had a moment where I hummed and hawed, ah, should I be wearing one? And then I looked at her, and I, I was being cheeky. She doesn't come from a faith-based background. I said, well, truth is my God. And the truth, like when we look into the scientific evidence, suggests that masks are working, and that if we want to, if we want to make the world a better place, then then. And I said, so so my God tells me to wear a mask, and I said, I was like, I haven't said a statement like that in forever, but it actually made me feel really comfortable and confident to like throw that mask on, not make a big deal of it, and go go play with with uh, with Parker. And so I was like, I, I wonder if moving forward, I just perceive truth like what's actually true and, and as far as we can understand yeah. it we're naive silly monkeys that came from trees in my opinion so like i i don't expect too much but i expect that there's certain things that we can strive to understand and do our best job of understanding and you know what i mean and, and so that was interesting to me like so then i i well, for, the, for it, the first time ever i said my god tells me to do this <laughs> and i and i followed through because right. because having truth as your god is a is a god worth worshiping. You know what I mean? Yeah. Having actual truth. And I'm talking about like compassionate loving truth. Like the the truth and the reality of 215 indigenous uh children being found in the last couple of weeks. That's a truth that's heartbreaking and and it's 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 hard to stomach. It's it's uh but but in order to step towards compassionate, accepting understanding of our of our of our indigenous communities, we we can't ignore that truth. You know what I mean? And 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 I think that if you're going to worship a god, uh, it, you know, I think I think the god of truth is is a god worth worshiping. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, you're bringing back a whole bunch of conversations that I remember, like growing up, of like, oh no, God is he's a god of truth and love, and it's like, but that that's where my mind's going right now. It's like, okay, yeah. Yeah, so I guess I just have to ask more deeply. What do you think about what truth is? But I mean that that might cost me a couple hours <laughs> because if, if by truth you just mean facts, again there are a literally an infinite number of facts. Yeah, and they don't tell you what to do with them. Uh, the the truth 
um, the truth can't always be known, right? So, so all we can do is strive for our best. And, and that's the same truth. That's the same reality of my life. My consciousness puts together, um, a reality of how I should treat Parker, you know, Clarice, my partner's five-year-old, how I should treat Clarice, how I should treat a, a female partner in my life, how I should treat my family. And so I, I, I base that off a lot of things that I value, relational, mm-hmm. different things. And, and my values come from what tends to be more productive or wholesome or well or, or healthy. And so um, I don't know that we'll... kind of like that same picture of we'll never understand God. We might never understand truth, but he's worth, he's worth honoring. You know what I mean? He's worth respecting. And so, yeah, what is, what is truth? I don't know. But I I think that, um, opening yourself up to people, for example, what is truth when it comes to, um, a complex problem? Well, the reality is that problems are really sophisticated and they can be broken down infinitely like over and over into smaller and smaller categories and you realize that every even minor um complexity is actually really quite sophisticated and challenging so but what i do when i see a problem that i don't understand that's outside of my domain of study or understand is i oversimplify it you know what i mean i I make it simple and I, i well that's not truth if i'm really interested in the truth i need to speak to the individuals who are really curious and engaged and interested in that subject matter who are wholeheartedly trying their best without a personal bias to to make sense of what what is real what is reality and so that i i think that in the same way that we're kind of at the forefront of human history being in 2021 we're we're at the forefront of what we can know to be true and i think that honoring that 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 truth is is the way that i quote unquote worship god (laughs) if if that makes sense i I like i appreciate you sort of reviving that language for me or entering into that (laughs) that that language space because i mean that's that's a great definition for how i think and that just came to me recently and and out of a cheeky comment that i made to my partner when she asked me you know do we need to be wearing masks? You know, things are opening back up. Is, and I said, well, from what I understand, it it works, and yeah. and I don't get I don't get it. I don't get the virus. I don't get the complexities of all this. So I've I've throughout this whole pandemic, I've really leaned on the scientific community to educate me. And there's a lot of scientists who don't you know have a political win or a financial gain or a win from from what it is they're, they're sharing, and they're just wholeheartedly trying to do the best thing for for the greatest number of people, kind of thing, right? And so, yeah, for, for now, at least until we come up with more evidence, that, that's my truth. That's, um, I, I think I'm a little more cynical about, well, I don't know. It, 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 it isn't, this isn't aimed directly at the scientific community, but it's just communities. I don't think, like, I mean, you, you said that there's maybe a lot of people that don't, that don't, have, don't have a lot of ego in the way that are just kind of like just doing things because they believe it. And it's like, to the extent that I can look at myself and see that sort of behavior, I have to like maybe assume maybe there's somebody who's like 50% or 100% better at it than me. But like still looking at my own intentions and what drives the way I live my life, even though I like even thinking about it a lot, like trying and wanting to live selflessly or wanting to live like in a way that's meaningful beyond my own immediate life. I just don't act that way. Mm-hmm. And like... So, I mean, it's just, I don't have a deep confidence in in people having like a, 
I'm afraid of where my thoughts are going here. I, I don't, mm. don't want to just sound like I, I just think people are are horrible, but I, I guess it's just that if if there's if there's a crack in the system, then viruses spread, and and I'm talking about like mind viruses or mm-hmm. like so it's just like and especially I've just been kind of thinking about the, the nature of communities recently in in relationship to like propaganda, where it's like the deeper you're bought into any particular community, the more skin in the game that you lose if that community is wrong about one of their totally. stances. So like if I'm like deeply, deeply planted in being a, a Southern Baptist Christian or being, I, I guess that I, I get to remove it a little bit for myself. If I deeply commit to being a, a um, evangelical Christian who toured on the road spreading that message for this many years and then that denomination is deeply wrong about, about something that's pretty important to them, then it's like it's important to me to like fight fight for them and hope that they're right because like I lose out on a lot if I find out that evangelicals are wrong yeah. or maybe further I lose like a lot if I find out Christians are wrong if God mm-hmm. doesn't exist so it's like the deeper I'm bought into any community the more I have to fight regardless of my ability to even investigate the the, the truth statement mm-hmm. of whether or not the thing is actually true it's just like it becomes at a certain level it becomes sort of a game of of like a team, a team game. I don't know, like where people are just kind of fighting to 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 protect their ideology and protect their tribe. But that all that begs the question as to whether the scientific community is one community or if it's multiple communities. And from my perspective, it's immensely large numbers of independent communities. Every university has its own, uh, you know, department that's that's personally motivated to do the best job that they can of of coming out with the most um, interesting and and. Um, you know, revolutionary research, and then the university beside them in the next town is motivated to you know outdo that. And so, I think it's a whole bunch of independent communities um, that have their checks and balances because there's so many of them. Whereas the evangelical community, for example, you know, if it's if it's got a name like it's the Fellowship of Evangelical Baptists, and they make a statement, well, it's funny because the Fellowship of other types of evangelical Baptists or, or the um, Pentecostals, they're interested in actually potentially not not maliciously, but you know, coming up with a, a, a there's maybe a more a more open minded stance or whatever it right. is, right? Well, it, there's there's more of like a straight like they're pitted against each other because they're fighting for the same like Turf. you're not you're not yeah exactly yeah <laughs> like it's like either either there's like there's a let's say just to to simplify it, there's only a hundred people in this town. And we gotta fight for them because we both need we both need their tithes, yeah. right? But yeah. I, but it's like that's not something that's that's unique about any type of community. Yeah. Every community needs resources to sustain, sustain itself, and there's a there are games that evolve about like about vying for those resources. One of the things that I did this uh, over the last year and a half during this pandemic is I read I started reading a lot, a lot of history books. One book I read. Uh, I can't stress how awesome this is. I think every high school or university student should should read this book. It's called Mistakes Were Made But Not By Us. It's all about <laughs> cognitive dissonance and about how we, just like you said, as communities we can perpetuate ideologies and ideas and defend those ideas even after we've been proven wrong right. because we are so... Um, we, we, our brains are so tuned to that perception that it's so difficult, even when the evidence is outlined before you, to convince you that 
there's a mistake in your logical reasoning or, or that there's no logic to your reasoning. And um, they go through about five different case studies. One of them um, was about childhood trauma that psychotherapists were working with kids who were ADHD or who were acting out or who were clinically depressed or, or dealing with a lot of anxiety. And they were actually bringing into the, the suggestion or into the conversation the, the idea that maybe you were molested or maybe you were, you were mistreated or, or poorly treated as a child. And that repressed memories would come to the surface. Well, this whole repressed memory stuff, uh, it was it was validated and confirmed that this is actually something that's very rarely true and, and not scientifically um, validated and that it's caused immense pains in, in people's families where daughters have have um, accused family members or, or sons of accused family members of abuses that r- truly didn't take place. And, yeah. and so this was something that they observed as a case study to see how many psychotherapists and clinical psychologists and, and, and professionals ultimately got lost on this train because of a book that came out in the 90s or something like that. You know yeah. what I mean? I think I heard about that because didn't they ultimately, I mean, when, when, people were kind of buying into this this way of studying and like figuring out whether or not people had been sexually abused they i thought they like kind of came to the conclusion that there was like a, a pedophile ring runner underneath the basement of like a ton of different schools and then there there was a lot of um yes there were a lot of um claims made by daycare um children who were now adults claiming that that abuses had happened and then they also did other really interesting and fascinating studies where um a teacher like a a, um uh some like a teacher who wasn't a teacher who was like part of the study came into a class taught a 15 minute lecture left then a week later somebody asked them questions about that experience ultimately they discovered that they could easily suggest to the children that that person was mean and aggressive when they weren't you had a videotape of how Mm. they were interacting with the children but the the kids once one kid was like yeah he was a little mean yeah he was a little, you know what i mean and how right, suggestible right. we are and 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 all these different examples of where our um you know our 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 psychological fallacies ultimately yeah. produce a lot of a lot of problems in our in our way of relating to each other and and again it was um written by two two university professors and i forget from where and i forget their names but mistakes were made not by us really really great book Interesting. Well, why did that come up? Uh, that came up in relationship to the ways that we, uh, our personal confirmation biases, the way that right, we, right, right. Ha- uh, the, but, the echo chambers that we find ourselves in and how those echo chambers can perpetuate ideas or belief systems yeah. or ways of being or habits that aren't grounded in evidence or reality or... or yeah, well, I mean, so how... How do, where, where's the better truth-seeking mechanism than like than culture the, than community than I mean like so, so you said we can we we can be really suggestible based on like what our peers yep. say and so and then there's like personal cognitive bias which is largely shaped yep. by our by our immediate community but then it's like that get a whole bu- get a whole bunch of people to independently do the work of discovering or figuring this out and then see what the results are because then what we tend to see in isolation then right from each other right which which you tend to do based on the fact based on two factors one is that there's just so many educational facilities that are 
you know, independently working um, without community. You mentioned earlier the scientific community communicates so well together. I found actually the opposite. I find the scientific communities are often kind of isolated from one another and that there'd be a huge benefit to actually bringing the research together, which is where a lot of great books come from, is, is bringing yeah, the scientific yeah, yeah. research. Well, that's what I meant. Is that, like, I, I don't think, yeah, I don't think that it's, it's very common for scientists to kind of, like, usually, I think the more of a scientist you become, the more you kind of deeply commit to like being in your lane. But I, I think it's, yeah, like you're saying, the, the most interesting science books out there are the, the I don't know, whenever I, I hear... Collaborations like, of yeah, it's, study, it's, yeah. It's like weird juxtapositions of, of different disciplines. Yeah. That's yeah. where the interesting ideas seem to... Yuval Noah Harari up. does a really cool job of, of distilling, um, you know, human history in, in that. And I just finished Sapiens and then 21 Lessons oh, for yeah. the 21st Century. Oh, you read century. 21 Lessons as well? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one is if you if you like more AI and the future of technology yeah. and government and this kind of stuff, then if you, yeah, I, I found that that was a really cool read. Yeah, he's he's got some interesting takes on stuff. I mean, he he gets into the the, the free will thing too, as far as mm-hmm. just like, which I mean, even the way you you talked about it earlier, you said like you think it's more our environment and stuff like that, but there's still. Whatever. I, I don't necessarily need to go down the same same rabbit hole we just went down. <laughs> I don't know, like the, the the free will thing, and and it yeah, it, it deeply yeah, it tends to, tends to land on this this baseline level of mystery thing. I, I guess that's what I, one of the things I wanted to to hit hit a little deeper with you is that like so when when you're coming back to yoga, mm-hmm. okay, when you're thinking about when you're thinking about the things that you know are going on cognitively physically you said that doesn't take away any sort of of the of the meaning of yoga for you um i think it could take it away from other people based on their perceptions of yoga my perception of yoga and the way that i got introduced to yoga was always from a very uh scientific and grounded perspective um and that came about as a result of experience um the yoga community moto yoga specifically was started by two individuals who came from a guru based community where guru so-and-so said x y and z so x y and z was was reality and truth well, what they discovered was that this guy was full of shit and that he was mistaken on this front and, and wrong about this and blah, blah, blah. So they said, well, why don't we offer yoga um, based on what's called yoga therapy principles, which is a, a therapeutic approach to, to uh, the human body that allows individuals to get within get into their bodies in a, in a way that feels safe and comfortable, which has really beneficial therapeutic effects, is done in a way that optimizes the mobility of the body, not hinders it by overstretching one area and, and allowing another area to, to, to remain unmoved or uh, unworked. And, and, uh, and so my introduction to yoga came from, um, lack of a better way of putting it, a very, a very scientific approach to the practice of, of mindfulness and yoga. Specifically, mindfulness meditation is, is kind of the scientific approach to a very old meditation practice. Um, and, and mindfulness was why I, I, I strongly admire and love the Buddha's teachings because his, that's where mindfulness meditation came from, was the Buddha himself. He recognized the fallacies of striving for worldly pleasures and the challenge the the fact that there's no that life is suffering and it's suffering because of clinging craving and aversion and that if we reduce the clinging and craving and aversion that we have we drastically increase the peace that we experience in our day-to-day experience and and that you know that's a very um 
A plus B equals C kind of approach to it. So does it take away from the spiritualness of it? No, but only because I, I've never been part of that. You know what I mean? And, and people who come to Moda Yoga or what it was before was Moksha Yoga, um, looking for like those, those revelatory aha spiritual awakening type moments. And I'm running a thin line because the spiritual awakening part is very much a part of a self-awareness practice that gives you inner peace. So, you know what I mean? It's, it's, we're going to parse language here again, but it, it doesn't come from that, that spiritual tradition, that traditionally spiritual tradition, if that makes sense. <laughs> right. <laughs> traditionally spiritual. Tradition. <laughs> but like, I don't know. I, I feel like part of the experience of being, I don't know, I, I, I'm rephrasing this question a couple times because I'm trying to mull it over myself exactly what, what, why that doesn't feel satisfactory to me. Because like mm-hmm. part of, I, I feel like you're approaching me as if you're afraid I'm trying to Jesus smuggle here. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm, I'm, I don't know where, where this question's going. I'm just like, uh, part of my, my experience of, of like just starting to go and, and start to do, do yoga at, at Moto like so much of the like I, I feel like it partly made me it taught me to be comfortable um participating in something that I didn't understand mm. and that was like a big part of the experience is like learning to trust the the chaotic nature of existence and kind of building maybe a better relationship with that I mean like I talked about with earlier I, I that's something that I kind of deeply makes sense to me about my experience of reality that it's just like there's so much beyond my understanding and that could be a really overwhelming and terrifying thing and so how do i how do i build a relationship with that that isn't overwhelming and terrifying i mean mm-hmm. partly it seems to be building a good relationship with mystery and like if you remove that mysterious element of any of these sort of well, i mean I, I guess it's just a fundamentally different way of approaching i think uh, i'm practice, a little bit but, too in it because it's not that mysterious to me like actually like i i think it's very calculated and and um i don't say that it wasn't designed in a calculated way was it like moto or yoga i mean yeah yoga in general um ironically it was right the 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 path to enlightenment was very calculated the way that it was outlined and 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 so that that's very calculated physical postures and holding them and moving with breath it's very calculated compared to the the chaos chaotic nature of life right so it is in some ways and and even traditionally and historically outside of the moto community it has in some ways been um a calculated practice towards um enlightenment and, and inner peace right people people being fed up with the the metaphorical rat race that's what we call it today and it, it existed for thousands of years because people had their own version of a rat race um and it was a it was a it was a pathway and it's often yoga has often been been referred to as a pathway yoga is union you know between mind and body well that's a very calculated approach to get to get you connected to the reality that life doesn't exist in your head it actually also exists in your body and and a lot of north americans today experience life in their head when their arm gets hurt they notice their arm for the first time that day or that week right but uh, other than that they're they're a calculator that goes through life and and processes decisions and 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 um kind of operates in this world 
it's not until you step into your body and you realize there's a whole world below your neck that is right. is very real. Yeah, wh- why is it? Why is that so important to to, to kind of realize that? You, that well, you it depends have on it depends on why. But let's let's use an example of somebody who's experienced a lot of trauma. You 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 know you 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 lie in bed as a child and and horrible things happen to you. One of the best ways that you can cope with that. Uh, awful reality is to dissociate from your body you, you step out of your body and then you justify it intellectually with a story that you've invented in your mind so that you can continue moving forward with life right and so you don't feel as much as you would feel perhaps if it felt safe to be in your own body right and so from a from a traumatic perspective stepping out of your body is a really beneficial thing to do when there's traumas around you know what i mean if you got an older brother beating you up every day then stepping out of your body and and coming up with some sort of story as to why that's happening could be really helpful for you in coping with that period of time where you're getting you're getting beaten up or you're getting you're getting hurt um from another perspective is that we often ignore the signs and the symptoms that our body gives us to pay attention to something, right? You, you're eating gluten every day for, for a while and right. your body's lethargic and isn't operating as functionally and optimally. Well, until you step into your body, which could happen at age 40, you could have gone yeah. 40 years throughout your life where gluten constantly and consistently nagged your body, but you didn't even notice that it was nagging your body because because you were so numb to that experience. So that's one one simple benefit where just paying attention to the fact that, hey, every time I eat fruits and vegetables, I feel like I have enough energy to make love to my wife. And every time I eat gluten, I we get into a fight because I just want to sit on the couch and watch TV all night. Well, these have drastic implications for the for the exchange that I have with with my relationships or for example, right? So and, and this is just this, this is just the surface of the iceberg. The, the di- this continuity or the disconnection between what's happening in my mind and my body have really quite profound effects, especially with addictions too, with individuals who are struggling with addiction. Why wouldn't you step out of your body for a while by, by taking something that numbs you and allows you to, to still continue existing and operating in this world, right? So that, that sounds like two fundamentally different kind of experiences of and this is this is connected more to meditation or more to yoga, I guess, kind of both the same, the same kind of yoga, let's say. Yeah. If well, you know, you I could argue all day that it's more connected to meditation, or I could argue, give yeah, me give okay, me a th- side and I'll defend it. <laughs> that there's that there's yeah, that, that there's utility for them both. But so so one is like literally sort of a, an escapism, like to to like okay, so your body, like I, I didn't quite understand the analogy. Okay, so both with addiction or both with being abused, like mm-hmm. you wanted to just like shut your experience off in those moments so that way you don't have to experience the yeah or or you don't have to perceive yourself as um less than because you don't feel the aches and the pains of of the abuse um if you dissociate from from the way that your body's feeling um how is it it almost like a like a zooming in and a zooming out zooming in and a zooming out of of your experience of being like just your experience of being like zooming in and focusing on you know inside of you and then being able to step right outside of yourself uh in in many ways yeah that is a, is a big part of the practice right well the other thing let's let's say um mental limitations that we place on ourselves so if i if i reach my arms out wide and have you ever held your breath 
Have you ever gotten to that point where you're like, I need to breathe now? Well, if I give you a million dollars to hold your breath for five more seconds, you'd be like, yeah, actually, I can do that. (laughs) So what is it that trigger that says, okay, now I got to breathe? Well, why didn't you wait the five extra seconds if I asked you to hold your breath as long as you could, right? And so there's there's a mental interplay of of what it is that your body can handle and what it can't handle, what's appropriate to do to your body and what's not appropriate to do to your body. And if you don't develop that relationship, then then it's kind of a mystery as to what's appropriate for for your body to, to accept. And we see this with work all the time, burnout. Well, what's burnout? It's ignoring your body long enough that the body stops right. functioning right. for you. What's disease? Yeah. Well, it's ignoring the symptoms that your body's, mm. you know, giving you. Yeah, because symptoms the, are fundamentally just communication. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, like your body's, your body's sending you a message, and if it's speaking in a language that you understand, then you you respond accordingly because you're having a communication. But if your body's communicating in a language that doesn't, you don't understand, you say, "Shut yeah. the fuck up, body!" Like, yeah, let me, well, let I me mean, get back to work. I, I would see that is like that. There, there. Well, I mean, it sounds like the, the two even examples you gave is like an example of like really paying attention versus almost not like totally disassociating, not paying attention at all to your bodies, or at least well, not. There, there, there's a there's a sliding scale of variant that exists within that, right? Like I, I practice yoga and meditation. Does that mean I'm fully aware of my body at all times? Are you kidding me? I eat like shit and I treat myself <laughs> poorly too. You know what right. I mean? I, I And even to the point of working out, sometimes I run five extra kilometers and I know that my, my legs and my knees are going to bother me the next day because it's some sort of psychological motivation that had nothing to do with my body, what my body asked me for. You know what I mean? And so the, the relationship's constantly being built and developing and changing and, yeah. and, and in the same way that... Uh, you know, another human relationship is is being built and but, evolving. And I mean, but even as you said, it can kind of relate to trauma and stuff. Like I, I can imagine, I don't know. It's like as soon as you do start to kind of pay attention, there is sort of like a lot of white noise, as far as like um, almost like white noise. Maybe that again. That's that's a metaphor. We too, mm. we talk in metaphors. Yeah. <laughs> well, but no, the white noise is a perfect metaphor. What if what if that white noise isn't white noise? It's just. If if somebody's speaking to me in Arabic or if somebody's speaking to me right. in Latin, yeah, it's it's language you don't it's, understand. It, that's white noise. Like as it, it it I can I can't even tell you when one word starts and one word stops. Yeah. Right. Because I I have such a disconnect between the language, and so it, can you can imagine that it's very similar with your with your physical body trying to communicate to you. You know, you eat the gluten two hours later and it's been happening for 30 years, two hours later, every single time you, your body feels the same way. You, you've never registered that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and so the, the, those kinds of connections are built and, and they take a lot of time to, to build and, and to develop, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I like that. I don't know. I, maybe I'm kind of using a slightly different, I have a slightly different picture in my head, but what you're explaining sounds to me kind of like expanding your dynamic existence like expanding the dynamic threshold of your existence like you 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 literally like you become bigger and you become smaller and then you you can now operate within that range when you sort of practice that stretching out of yourself yeah that's a good way of putting it okay yeah and and sometimes ironically the the demise of our our mental well-being i'll give you an example of that like a lot of people in the yoga community or in the wellness community or in the um self-help community kind of get to a point where they're like man i wish i never even opened this bag 
You know what I mean? And everyone wish I like, I wish I just kind of ignorantly went through life because once I know that taking care of myself well and eating properly makes me feel better, now I gotta do that. It becomes like this, this now it's something you're responsible for. It's like if, if you have a child and, and you recognize, or, or a friend, and you recognize that nurturing that relationship is good for you and your relationship, but it takes work and effort, right? And so, and, and it takes sacrifice as well. And so now it's like, well, now I got to sacrifice for my own body. Damn it. <laughs> like I, right, I wish right. I would have just ignored the body and I could have just, you know, drank yeah. and partied with like, my friends my whole life. But you have to kind of base the amount of time you're going to spend learning how to pay attention to different individuals based on how close they are to your, your life. It's like, obviously you ought to take some time and learn how to deeply communicate with your, with your life partner or with your family. Mm-hmm. I, I would say in that order too, right? And then yeah. beyond that, your friends and then your your local community. Though, I mean, this is a bit of a tangent. I don't want to get too far out here, but we even go further where it's just like so much of, of the, what should be sort of our peripheral community kind of saps away at that attention we should be paying yeah. to our more central community where it's like, especially through the internet, it's like social networking is this, well, I mean, it's built on an addictive cycle of, of scrolling through content and and then it becomes because they've kind of pulled you into that, that they try to make it like a redeeming thing. Like, oh, I'm spending time with all these people and we're building a strong social network, but you're not, you're building a shell like at the, at the edge of your existence that has very little to do with you. And then using up all the, that energy, that mental and emotional energy that should be spent paying for one thing, first probably attention to yourself mm-hmm. because that would be the person that's closest to you in your yeah. existence. And then, you know, your, your spouse or your, your, your partner and then your family, it's like those, those relationships. Yeah, well, I mean, for you, and even the way you teach this, do, do, does it kind of relate? To, I mean, learning how to pay attention to your body, do you kind of branch that out a little bit and talk about learning how to pay more t- attention to like the people around you? Well, it's, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Like there is that periphery and we see the patterns of our friends, our neighbors, our family, those individuals that are living for the periphery the social media impressing like the, the yeah, yeah, you know yeah. trying to impress people on social media living for that periphery has a huge cost and it can't not cost you the relationships that you have with your family right. and then and then when you when you and, and and so life is largely about balance because when you turn totally inward then everyone starts to hate you because you're a self-righteous asshole and and all you do is turn inward and become become this insulated uh, vessel that thinks it's got its shit together and so there's a there's a balance in 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 finding and and nurturing the community that exists within you and if that community gets too big or you're trying to impress the greater community and not the community of your partner and your children and the people that are close to you it it, it has huge negative consequences and we see that directly based on our our relationships failing and falling apart yeah yeah and so what about paying attention to the the signals in your body that you can't understand how do you build a relationship with those like i mean you said you, you, it's like, it's almost like what you don't it's like you, you can't understand it but there's i don't know, I, I guess i'm kind of coming back to this this fun this framework of mystery and like how how to approach that how to how to deal with that how to I'm reading a book by Tara Brock. Uh, she's a psychotherapist and a yoga instructor and mindfulness teacher, very well known. Um, and she's, it's radical acceptance. And one of the concepts that she introduced um, is a pause, taking a pause and how profoundly effective that pause can be. Because, you know, your kid spills their milk and you can make them feel like a piece of shit. 
or spilling milk, or you can take a pause, step back, and realize that your response to the situation is going to have implications on this little child, right? And and taking a pause in, in the context of um, our relationships can be profoundly effective at restoring relationships that are broken based on your reactivity, mm-hmm. right? If I if I have a frustrating day at work and I come home and I don't take a pause between my work life and my home life, well, then I bring all the stresses and strains into that home life. My my partner and my family might have been excited to see me, but they're not excited to see me when I'm being a jerk because I, I things didn't go my way. Right. And, and then taking a pause long enough to acknowledge that I'm stepping into a new environment that is completely void of the challenges and the struggles that I had in my previous environment that can make a huge difference in the way that my, my night plays out. And so, um, uh, you know, you alluded to how, how do we pay attention to noises or, or th- messages or signals that we don't understand? Um, one of the most profound ways of, of doing that is by, by through the mindfulness practice, observing how it affects us in our bodies. Because when I notice that it's my chest that tightens up or my abdomen that compresses or my muscles that are sore, well, these are all unique messages that if I observe it today and I observe it next week and I observe it a week, all of a sudden there's a pattern, right? Mm-hmm. We're, 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 per, we're very patternistic as, as human beings and that helps us through life because it makes life a lot more simple. And are you going to figure out exactly what that message is? Mm, I don't know. Maybe, right? But there's a really good chance that you'll figure it out if you can figure it out by taking that pause or by taking that moment. You're not going to figure it out if, if you ignore it. You're certainly not going to figure it out if you feel justified for being angry and bringing the anger home from work, right? Yeah. And so, so how do you how do you listen to messages that you don't quite understand patiently? Yeah, and, and ironically, that comes up so often in our yoga practice, so often in our mindfulness meditation practice. Be patient, chill out. You're not going to figure it out this year, but you don't need to. You're going to figure it out as time unfolds. You're going to start seeing that your wife doesn't react or your partner doesn't react very well when you come home acting like a jerk, right? And and that that affects a lot of different areas of your life, including your personal perception of self and your own well-being, right? But unless you have that. Uh, intuition that assumption that if you pay attention that you might be able to figure it out or you might be able to figure out because i mean my answer to that question of like are you going to figure out exactly what it is intuitively i i think absolutely not there's Mm -hmm. there's no way you could figure out exactly what it's about because the complex system that is you and then the branching network of complex systems that created you and that is still interplaying into you is so vast that it's impossible to see exactly right so but you could you could the assumption is that you could at least pragmatically reach a limit where where suddenly you at least understand a new a new causal relationship between things and then you could alter your behavior there and maybe stop eating gluten yeah. or or stop i don't know run away from your brother who's, who's abusing you <laughs> right but but there has to be an assumption in, and again i mean this maybe this is, is is an evolved philosophical position that like but you have to always assume that there's potentially more truth beyond where you currently are mm-hmm. and that there is more truth that could be discovered mm-hmm. and to me uh, sorry I, I know i keep bringing it back here but I, I guess it's just i'm trying to process this but that that to me comes back to that idea of mystery is mm-hmm. just that there's like you you don't have to be a spiritualist in order for for all of these traditions and stories about mystery to be so important about the way that you think about life because yeah, the belief in, in in a mystery at the bottom of reality, or or at least that there's that there can't be a bottom of reality, that there's always mystery beyond it. That's, I mean, maybe that's even like the fundamentally optimistic position, and mm-hmm. and you have to be sort of an optimist to some extent to stay alive. 
But based on experience, I would suggest that you can know yourself surprisingly more than you realize today. Right. Right. If you haven't done the investigative work of understanding yourself, and and this is a lifelong process, and and that's evidenced by one simple fact that every listener can relate to. Look at who you were five years ago. Look at who you were ten years ago. Look how much you changed, evolved, grown, matured. You right. know what I mean? You're wiser. You're patient, more patient. You're you've changed. You've evolved. You've become a different person. Mm-hmm. That's because of those pauses. That's because you've you've self reflected. That's because you've you've des- you've seen a pattern that doesn't work in your life, and you've changed that pattern, right? right? And so it, it's it's interesting and profound. And that's what I was getting to before. Sometimes it's fucking irritating to 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 open up that Pandora's box of self awareness and self improvement because mm-hmm. you discover how endless it is how many multifaceted Mm -hmm. factors play into the fact that you're a grouchy asshole at the end of the day you know what Mm -hmm. i mean and so uh but but it's still worth ultimately it's still worth doing because it it provides some semblance of hope to enjoy Mm -hmm. a a lifelong relationship with a person if that's you know if that's the right thing for you it gives you some some measure of of um connectedness to uh, uh, the people in your life that is is worth having, you know what I mean, yeah. and and provides meaning and joy and hope and peace and and a sense of comfort, uh, yeah. And, and so there's, even though you'll never figure it all out, if you figure out one percent versus half a percent, that's a drastic shift, and that's yeah, knowing yeah, yeah. twice as much about yourself as you did. Right. So yeah, you might only know one percent, but that's that's worth knowing if you're at point five today. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Okay, give me one second. I, I just where you were, there was there was something I wanted, there was something I wanted to ask you. Give me a Buddha break. Yeah, <laughs> gives you a kiss to pause. <laughs> I will say I'll, I'll do a quick commercial for Thirsty Buddha while you're thinking. <laughs> it's good though. It's, it's nice. Yeah, it's the first time I've had the pulp. Yeah, isn't it weird? It like literally tastes like. Well, I, the only thing I can can kind of compare it to, like it doesn't taste like pulp, like orange juice. No, because it's not like. Did you ever have those green aloe drinks? Yeah, that's what I I'm like thinking that. of. That, yeah. that, that was something that I got turned on Because it kind of di- dissolves a little bit. similar to that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, I forgot where I was going to go. But <laughs> this, has been, this has been really good to kind of to, to dig around here for a little while. I'm, I, f- I feel like there's, there's a lot more to... I don't know. I, I, was, I was wondering whether or not our... Given, based on the last time we chatted, how... How deeply our 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 worldview might might mesh or clash, and it's like you're you're still enough of a mystery to me that I'm really <laughs> looking forward to, to to talking to you in a long for a long time again. Well, we can always do this again. We can continue the conversation anytime. And the thing is, like, I'm I'm so outrageously full of shit. That's important to understand <laughs> because I discover how much I change my own perspective and how much I'm growing and evolving and 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 changing. Like it's it it the older I get, the the less I know. And I know that that's like an old old saying, and it's been around forever. But it's it's really cool how true that is for me uh, yeah. or or from my experience. I think it's it's been really cool to see how how little I know and how full of shit I am, and ultimately i find a lot of peace from that from from just acknowledging how little i know because having it all together the way that i i really truly did when i was a christian um and i don't say this to 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 knock the those those listeners who are you know devout to their faith and and really committed to jesus christ or 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 allah or any other other faith 
Um, but it's been, it's been, if anything, it's been loosening off a burden off my shoulders mm-hmm. to just say, wow, there's so much about myself, about this world, about each other that we, I, I don't understand. That doesn't make sense to me. Um, and, and it's, it's a peaceful, uncomfortable place. Yeah. Yeah. I was, okay. I guess there, there's one more thing I, I want to <laughs> go to before, but we probably should wrap this up in a sec. But, um, like that experience of, of being comfortable with, with again, and then this is kind of, this kind of brings us back around to, to where we started this conversation because that experience of suddenly kind of realizing how little you know and how full of shit you are mm-hmm. is, well, in, in most cases, I feel like when you describe that, I don't think a lot of people are going to, I mean, when I hear you describe that, I, I'm surprised even with how, how much comfort you talk about it in because when, when I first, first encountered that experience, yeah, in my life, it was like the the crux of the most depressed I've ever been in my life. Mm. And like, how do you? I don't know. Why why do you have that attitude regarding regarding the the mystery of reality or or the the cosmic? She's <laughs> a well, stupid well, big words, p- but like, pick a problem in the world because I'll we can expound on that problem like a like. Garrett lives on a street and and for some reason one way or the other I don't know why the city decided to stop like block off the street now you live on a dead end you live you used to live on a throughway now we could say what the why what what's the city thinking why didn't the, there's a road right there mm-hmm. could have pulled out made things more complicated blah 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 the thing is me and you can talk all day about how how stupid of a decision that was and this is just a minor itty bitty decision mm-hmm. but the reality is is that if we were sitting in the room of people who made that decision there's a really good chance if we were open minded and you didn't live in this house you would have made that decision whether it be for safety, whether it be for some sort of complex reason, maybe it was zoning, maybe it was something else. Who knows? I don't know what the reason is as to why that you now live on a dead end versus a throughway. But I have to trust that the the reasons are complex and more complicated. So that's one stupid little example. Now let's talk about all the different complexities of human life. Well, the reality is that my perception and my picture of that reality is really, really minimal compared to all the different complexities as to as to what what problems there could be. Right? Jordan Peterson used the analogy of a, a child drawing a helicopter. You know, you draw you, you got a white piece of paper, you draw a little rotor on the top, and you draw the body of the helicopter. You kind of have an extension, and you've got the back. What is that? Well, it's a helicopter. Okay. Well, are you going to fly it? No, you can't fly it. It's, it's on a piece of paper, right? Well, what if I take a, what if I take a, a more skilled artist and he draws more detail? Right now, it's not just the top propeller; it's the side propeller. It's actually the the frame for the door that slides open. Now, actually, rather than just seeing a helicopter and recognizing, I understand. Oh, like this helicopter has one big sliding door, and the pilot gets in there. Okay. Well, what if it's now a photograph of a helicopter, and now all of a sudden the detail is vastly more expansive. I can see what the door handles look like for this helicopter. I can tell whether it's sitting on wheels or whether it's on on skis or whatever. Right. Now, the, the complexity of a of a pro- and and. And so then like, you know, you tell me the helicopter's broken down. Okay, well, what the hell is wrong with it? I, I'm a monkey. I'm going to whack that thing with a wrench and I have no idea what the heck I'm going to do with that helicopter because yeah. I don't know the first thing about avionics. Yeah, and, and, and helicopter engineering is apparently like one of the like most complicated ones yeah, of, eh? as far as mach- engineering any kind of machine or I would have no hope. I have no idea where to even get started. And and this is, this is one very, like one of the millions and millions and millions of potential things I could possibly know. And so sitting comfortably in, in a place of ignorance to ignore 
acknowledge how little I know allows me to be curious, allows me to continue learning. It allows me to shut my stupid mouth when I don't know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Because the thing is, so much noise is added to a conversation about politics, about religion, about about mm-hmm. the, the struggles of humankind right now, about you know how we've been treating indigenous people for the last 250 right. years. You want me to give you my opinion on, on what it is that we've done in, in Canadian history? I barely understand it myself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and so I'm going to have opinions as to how we should reconcile our relationship with the indigenous peoples yeah. here in Canada. And I'm going to skim the surface on really the, the complexities and the hurts and the intergenerational traumas that ultimately came up and how this is still playing out today. You can tell me that this is over because we're not continue, we're not still somehow oppressing indigenous people. But that's just not true. There's still really nuanced and complex and 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 comp- fascinatingly yeah, yeah. complicated well, no, but, so, but I, I see that you're saying that it is useful to have this perspective mm-hmm. like, i don't have a choice so ultimately what why i've made comfort with it is because no, no, i'm asking how oh <laughs> like because um, that i don't know, like usually when you many people who, who who have to be confronted with that truth they're usually thrown through the door due to you know some something that they were unaware of being important enough that it caused their life to complex to, mm-hmm. to collapse mm-hmm. and then okay now you from from now on i mean now you've been thrown out of the door into your own you know unawareness of, yeah. of reality and, and have to come to terms with or uh, i guess you, you have to come i think to i have enough space between that that instance happening and where i am right now you're right i'm 35 i'm turning 35 years old right now i lost my faith 10 years ago right and so uh with losing my faith that's when really things unfolded and the complexities of life continued to expound but did you have that at least at the beginning then well like i said it really truly took me six years to to lose my faith so yeah right Mm -hmm. like I, i really struggled and battled with um what the implications of the evidence that I was finding meant for me mm-hmm. to the point where I didn't like the evidence. So I, I tried to ignore it as much as I could. Um, well, I, I yeah. guess one of the things I'm kind of wondering is, is that part of, part of the, part of what yoga and what, and what mindfulness is even intent on introducing you to because it seems like i don't know maybe i'm just reading it's a calm it's a common byproduct it's yeah. a very very common byproduct a lot of my friends who are in the yoga community a lot of my my teachers who i respect a lot of the authors that i read and the people that i respect live live comfortably uncomfortable and not knowing right in in a in a space where there is an immense amount of mystery in this world and we just have to sit with saying i don't know um yeah that that's it's a it's a common theme not just in yoga or, or mindfulness but any self-investigation right yoga and mindfulness are the are outrageously common and well-known self-investigation tools but there's there's quite a few that exist um i did a, a personal development course in toronto called landmark and uh it's you know it's a it's a systemized structured program that teaches you about how full of shit you are how how a lot of your life is run by stories you make up a story about who you are your own ego your own identity and you make all these stories up about everyone around you unless you communicate openly and vulnerably about the fact that you know that you have these stories and you hold these stories then you're going to have to pay the cost and the price of not of not being able to understand reality and truth and that creates division amongst us right 
And so it, it's it's reality can't be understood in any other way than through a story, though. Yeah, I know. So we have to use stories to be able to articulate um, as as clearly and as well as possible. Right. I often feel for individuals who don't have the capacity to articulate themselves as well. They end up getting into more trouble. They end up getting into drugs more frequently. Like lots of weird social um, social services cater to individuals who have poor communication skills, which is really to me it's very frustrating and irritating. It it ultimately leads you into a problem with the police officer. If I get pulled over. I can talk my way out of stuff that a person who fumbles over right. their words right. couldn't dream of, you know, and that sucks. That's bullshit. That's not fair. You know what I mean? And, and I recognize that as a huge privilege. And so, um, it is all stories in the end, right? Like it, it, it um, so yeah, it, it, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, maybe I'm hiding behind a comfort that doesn't exist. Maybe I'm less comfortable than I, than I, I even realize. Um, but it's, it's been a long time. You know what I mean? I, I've, I've recognized how full of shit I am for, and, and I, and I, and I forget that, you yeah. know what I mean? I'll be self-righteous and I'll be totally right. And tomorrow morning when we're arguing about something, you know what I mean? And I won't acknowledge that I'm full of shit because I'm right. I got experience right. in this, yeah. right? So it, it ebbs and flows as well, right? I got to acknowledge yeah. that too. I, I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> I, so I when, I, when I figure it out, can, I'll come back on the right, podcast <laughs> and I'll, I'll let you guys know how, how to live with the uncertainties. Yeah. Well, I mean, it may be the case that if you can just, if you can learn to have that dynamic interplay between being totally aware of your bullshit versus, and then totally committed to believing something despite that, it's like that's, that might be part of the the necessity or, or like part of what it means to become like a mature human being is just like being able to kind of have both of those things it, because obviously if you're just totally focused on your ignorance all the time it it decapacitates you it makes mm-hmm. it, you, you stop doing anything because it's just like how can i know if i'm right well but if you can what ties you to something is the story that i like for me i make up a story um that provides me with meaning I actually don't think I'm very significant. And I think that 2000 years from now, not a single person, like 200 years from now, not a single person will care the fact that I roam this earth, right? It's possible that something that I do potentially forms a legacy, blah, 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 blah. But I also recognize that if I didn't do it, somebody else could. And, and so, um, you know, that's been a hard one maybe to wrap my head around. And it's something that I constantly forget. I often forget how insignificant I am, but when I when I zoom out, then I, I I remember again, and I I'm pretty at peace with that. Like I don't I don't that that's not a huge hardship for me. So then you know where I lean is my meaning. Well, for me, meaning comes from the relationships that I have. the 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 fact that I get to like I I, I love Parker, uh, my my partner's son, and I love that I get to be a part of his life. He's like the such a blessing in my life and and i i have nine nieces and nephews same deal i love like spending time with them exploring the world with them and through them teaching them stuff and life lessons that are going to be helpful and make life a little easier for them and i find a lot of meaning from being a good example you know what i mean or or being a um you know being compa- a compassionate leader for lack of a better way of putting it right and so um but but that's all story too you know, I, I could off myself and, and it wouldn't, it would have an impact obviously because of the hardship and the sorrow and, and the pain that I'm causing, yada, yada, yada. Thus I don't, but I don't think the significance of, of me dying in a car crash on my way home is 
all that significant. And, and, and I find a little, maybe a little bit of peace in my ignorance by reducing my significance. Um, yeah, yeah. if, if well, yeah. that helps or if that kind yeah, of paints yeah, a no, picture. It's, it's, it's so hard to, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm just scraping around with, with, with thinking about this stuff and like trying to but if you Put dig it into, into a story, far enough, right? I'm very inconsistent. I'll admit yeah. that. You know what I mean? Because yeah, then in okay. other moments, any, what any I'm doing system is system that's trying to represent reality, or maybe even how to live in reality. If it's too consistent, it stops being able to represent reality anymore, right? That's what you said before. Yeah, I really <laughs> like that idea. That's why. That's where AI is going to be really interesting. Um, that's where it terrifies me. M- maybe yeah. we should. We should put a pin right there because maybe that's a good place to start the next. We'll thing. talk for another you know couple hours on AI. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's an interesting one for sure. Well, that was interesting. If you enjoyed this conversation, consider sharing it with someone else you think might find it interesting. Even better, try to find someone you think might disagree with something here and take some time to listen to their perspective. Try to have a meaningful, good-faith conversation. Practice listening deeply and patiently and speaking clearly and precisely. I think if we can get better at this, we might actually change the world. Anyway, thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time.